Welcome to the Headless Hangouts podcast. We are a community from around the world inspired by the philosopher Douglas Harding. To find out more and to join in on the conversation, please visit www.headless.org. Enjoy. Okay, now we're on the air now. So uh, great to see everybody. Uh, this is an experiment, and uh, we are just seeing how it goes. So um, this is a group of friends that I know. My name is Richard Lang, and uh, I'll just start with an experiment very briefly, and then I think I'll just ask each person to briefly introduce themselves. So I'm Richard, and I'm going to invite you to be aware of your single eye. Uh, my hands disappear into this open space here. I'm looking out of nothing, uh, vast openness. And I hope that you, the viewer, are also aware of this. I, I know all my friends are here. And uh, the brilliant thing is, which is partly why we're doing this uh, Hangout uh, broadcast, is that each of us has a different response to this basic experience of who we really are. And we, uh, the idea is just to share some of our responses. So I'm going to now invite uh, us to uh, introduce ourselves a little bit and uh, just uh, what came, what brought us to seeing or how. I'm Susita, I'm from Bangalore, India and uh, a few years back I was uh, uh, I was driven to learn meditation and to discover my true self and uh, I did a lot of reading and uh, spiritual seeking and uh, then sometime this year I, I, I was looking for more ways of integrating uh, the spiritual identity into my daily life uh, because it was more like uh, the meditations were very peaceful but then when I would go back into the daily life activities somewhere it, I, I, I found it was not integrated so that's when I found the headless way and I found it um, very effective uh, because I could practice it when I'm with people, when I'm walking, basically any time. All I have to do is, you know, just remember. And there are so many experiments, and uh, so I, I've start, I started practicing that, and uh, I really find, you know, it, uh, it very deep and very helpful in remembering my true identity. Brilliant, brilliant. It came in uh, useful at the right time, I think. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, welcome, Burma. We just uh, started. We're on air. Um, Sequoia, would you like to introduce yourself? If you unmute your microphone there. Yes. My name is Sequoia, and I found the headless way through um, Richard's interview on Buddha at the gas pump series and I was I had been meditating off and on throughout my adult life and um, had started a, a serious spiritual quest just recently and um, asked for some guidance from my higher self and was led to that interview and it's uh, it was the best thing I've ever done I can say. It led you to your higher self. 
Yes, it did. <laughs> you did the pointing experiment, I guess. Yes, I did. The one that spoke to me the most in that moment was uh, the eyes closed experiment. And right. so there was a, a significant shift at that moment in time in my life. Brilliant. Thank you, Sequoia. Uh, Sam. You have to unmute. That's it. Yep. So, uh, look, I've been interested in um, what you could call the depth dimension of, of life from probably my late teens when I, when I experimented with LSD after being very much a positivist materialist and uh, not interested in any of that stuff. I suddenly saw this opening into a, into a kind of depth and I became interested in that. Um, it, it sort of became my, my life's focus, I guess, and I, I began searching um, and I tried Vipassana meditation, I joined a, a cult and uh, I had help from many great um, authors and teachers and so on. Then one day in 2005 I went to a, a workshop um, with Richard here in Perth and um, the, 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 the insight that had been eluding me all this process, the very simple um, coming to as it were occurred as a result of doing the first experiment he showed us, and uh, I've never really, um, I've never really looked back from that. I, I, I think it was a, a shift that stayed shifted in many ways. I mean, I've, I don't always notice it, but uh, it's always there when I look. The absence of any entity here at the center of where all my experiences are landing, and uh, this is wonderful. This has been a continually unfolding delight and joy and resource and, and practical help in my life. Brilliant. And uh, Sam and I are very good friends. Uh, and his wife, Navi, you are so uh, um, instrumental in making the website so brilliant and public publishing books and so. And Sam is in Australia. Sequoia's on the Oregon coast, and Susita's in Bangalore, I think, in India. All right, so uh, Doug, how about you introducing yourself? Hi, I'm Doug. I live in uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. My uh, first exposure to the Headless Way, per se, was through, uh, uh, through Catherine Harding. Uh, she did a series of interviews on, um, on the Urban Guru Cafe, and I think those are available on your website at some place, Richard, as well as uh, on the Urban Guru Cafe. Really quite compelling. I remember very, very clearly, and I think this was about 2009. And, and like many of the others, I had had a meditation practice in different forms for, uh, for many years, um, probably most notably a Vipassana practice, which is uh, uh, quite experiential. Um, as the headless way is as well, but but I think what the what the the headless way in particular gave me is a series of um, um, you know methods to engage that in a daily life ordinary experience. Um, um, you know, Sushita made it use the term integrated, right? To really kind of bridge the gap between a a practice separate from. Um, my daily life, and then a, a practice that really was fully integrated in, in all aspects of that, and I think it's a great tool for that. Brilliant. Thank you, Doug. Thank you. And I'm going to go to Burma now. If you unmute your mic uh, and just introduce yourself, Burma. 
Hi, my name is Burma. I live in central Vermont and I came to the Headless Way I think through uh, Never Not Here, Richard Miller, and then I watched uh, an interview on Conscious TV and what I love about this method is that it's not intellectual and it's very direct and it doesn't require any kind of background, any special background. You don't have to have done any practices of any sort to have an immediate experience and it's wordless. There are no words in it, there's no concepts in it. It's just very immediate and I think that the um, the experiences through the experiments are the most profound and direct way to understand what we're talking about. Thank you. Thank you, Burma. Well, brilliant. So, I mean, if you're viewing this and you haven't done the experiments, there's lots on the website. And uh, I encourage you to do that. Uh, the simplest thing is to notice you can't see your own face now. Instead of my face, I see the screen and the rest of the room. And the other thing is uh, that um, being empty here uh, is being silent. And so I find many voices within this one silence. And this now includes Burma and Sam and Sequoia and Susita and Doug. So we're going to uh, enjoy being the one with many voices. <laughs> So this is unscripted, as I say, uh, but uh, any reflections uh, that uh, anyone wants to share at the moment about this? Well, I have a, a question, I guess. Um, while, the, while the void is never changing, our experiences of it are, and they're often very different. And I wanted to know how others, um, how the experience is different for them when they're, they choose to do an experiment and when the, the void is just visited upon them. Okay, thank you, Sequoia. I think for um, me, the uh, wonderful thing is that uh, I've got the experience which is nonverbal, as uh, Burma, I think, was saying. I can't see my head, instead I see the world. I don't hear my ears, instead I hear voices. <laughs> I hear voices, uh, sounds. And then from there, as I uh, kind of stay with this experience and bring my attention to it, like I'm doing now, which is one of the reasons I come on the Hangout, is to remind myself, be aware of this basic experience then my reflections and responses to it evolve. And I think like all of us here, uh, as I stay with it, these responses and experiences go deeper and deeper and deeper. And uh, so that's my initial reflection. Someone else? Yeah, for me, um, if I intentionally want to have a seeing experience, it's sort of like climbing up a ladder and stepping out on the high plank uh, over the swimming pool 
and deliberately making the effort and choosing to take the steps to get to the point where I jump off and I'm in free fall. And the, the experience of free fall is the same experience that co comes upon me visiting uninvited. And so the experience is, is the same, but the intention is much more direct when I am uh, deliberately choosing. It appears as though I'm deliberately choosing it as opposed to not choosing it. But at, it's always profound and uh, wordless. Great, thank you. Yes, the interesting thing about this this way um, that we found is that it's the only method I've come across where I can notice my void nature at will. It's never not available. That's quite astonishing. I've used other methods before and um, they would afford me glimpses and, and they would kind of make me more prone to having these experiences perhaps. But there was always this sense that um, uh, it was hit and miss. Uh, but with this, I find just not noticing noticing the, the absence of, of a head, say, or the absence of uh, any kind of obstruction here between me and the world, immediately uh, makes this, this openness, this boundless openness of, uh, available. And, and it seems to be that way um, no matter what mood I'm in or what what experience I'm having, it doesn't seem to. Uh, there's no kind of circumstance. It's, it's it's opaque to this to this accessibility, if you like. I, I find this astonishing. And um, so, in answer to your question, it, the more I uh, sort of consciously enjoy this and and look for it or look to it the more I find I'm also spontaneously overtaken by it in, in various situations in my life. It's as if it's meeting me halfway. I, it's very hard to explain. And, and the other thing is, that in, in the seeing of it, of course, it's not clear whose decision that is, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Wonderful, wonderful. Anyone else uh, feel like responding to that? I, I think one of the reasons that that it's as effective both as a meditation technique where you know one might you know deliberately um, you know create experiences of expansion or experiences of of you know of heightened awareness of your environment and so forth is is, is that almost all of the experiments and I think all of them actually are have a somatic element associated with them. You're moving your body. Um, and, and, and when I do that, I, I, I think it involves, you know, my entire nervous system is engaging that process when my body is engaged in it just as much as my, uh, 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 you know, other faculties might. Yes. Thank you, Doug. Yes. Yes, Sam, go on. I was just going to say, I think that's very true. That somatic or physical aspect of it is so important. Um, I, I mean, I was looking at a, a, a talk today. I went to visit uh, with some friends who from the 
the, the remnants of Pete and Pearl's um, uh, awareness group uh, still meet, uh, Richard. They, they, they still get together and watch um, sort of videos. And we went along uh, for the first time in a long time. It was great to catch up with them. We watched a talk by Ajashanti, and it was great. I mean, he, he's, he's, a very, he's a very wonderful chap. But he was talking about um, the, the end of wanting and how you, you, you develop this theme about you know, one of the aspects of the human condition is that we always want something to be different, and which is true. I mean, we can, we can notice that about um, being uh, human. And that um, usually we, we go from wanting something to the object of the wanting, and we don't stay with the feeling of wanting. And his, his whole thesis was that if we, we stay with the, the feeling of wanting after a while, it will, it will disappear and we'll be free of it, right? Which is, I think, we've probably all had experiences of that. But um, what was what was struck me immediately about this was how, how subtle the thing he was talking about is, how difficult it was to discern in oneself, and how how much um, the effort involved in doing it, the difficulty of it, and also the ease with which you could misunderstand what he was saying. And, and generally the whole thing was, he was talking about, he said some wonderful things, like you've got to go on your own experience, and, and this thing that I'm t telling you about is no big deal, it's, it's, but it's very, very important. All of the things he was saying could have applied to our experience of headlessness, actually. It was very interesting. But he was talking about this other thing, which is noticing when you want something and noticing the mechanism of desire, which is, uh, which is wonderful stuff. But I was just thinking how much easier it is just to notice the physical aspect. I mean, he was talking about something very psychological in a way, and, and so many of these teachers do. They address these deep psychological problems, and they, they address them with words in such a way that it's almost impossible to get what they're talking about unless you already know what they're talking about. Whereas this method is somatic in the sense that you really do experience it with your body and your senses and your perception very, very immediately. And I find that very, very amazing and, and wonderful. In, in fact, there's no other choice, really, is there? I mean, you point. Yes, you, you, you have to kind of notice it. Or, I mean, if you're being serious, you have to notice the absence of anything at this end of the, the perceptual apparatus. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of the elephant in the room. And once you, once you notice the, you know, the void at your end of the tunnel, uh, it's inescapable. What's in, another interesting question is what, ready, what, what makes people ready to notice that? Because many people aren't. Or if they do notice it, they kind of they bounce off the experience and... Uh, and, and change the subject. That, that's, but I think for those of us who are ready to notice it, the, the experiments are the, by far the most humane and direct and uh, easy way of, of doing it. I like the word humane <laughs> because all of the other techniques can be quite torturous at times. <laughs> yes, yes. The way I think about it is that the experience is so immediate, so physical, so somatic, you can't not get it. I mean, how can you not be ready to notice you can't see your own face? But you might not be ready, in your, you know, you might not be interested in it. You might not be ready to make connections with it. But, I mean, there's no question that everyone can't see their own face. So then uh, it's a matter of, does that mean anything to you? And, uh, you know, how, 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 is, how does that 
go down with you, as it were. And obviously, we who are meeting here in this hangout, we find it of deep significance and great practical value. But we're not seeing it any more clearly than the person who says that's rubbish. <laughs> We've just got a different reaction. Which is very uh, egalitarian and uh, and feels right. Wait, you say it feels right for me when I am just the open space. I don't know if I'm feeling anything. I don't know where I'm feeling anything. Uh, I could be feeling something, but on the whole, it's so vast and and empty and freeing it's like nothing you've ever, you can conjure up through thinking about it and so there's this experience of of no things happening I, it's hard to explain um, I like think you're explaining I, it well <laughs> I was in the it, I was in the car and I realized that everything that I've ever wanted in my life was happening right in that moment. That it was just like the perfect moment. And it it just occurred to me that this you know, they've always said this is it, you know, and what is it? But um you know, I was it and it was me and there was no separation and everything was coming together exactly perfect if there's such a thing as perfection and I I thought wow you know I wouldn't want to change a hair not not a not a speck of how everything was in that moment and it it just came and it didn't go away it, it was like wow this is happening. The thoughts came in to interpret the the amazing experience, but the experience was so pure. I can't really say that it was had any feelings or emotions. Or it was after the experience that thoughts came in. Yes, uh, I'm going to jump in there. I I think another thing I love about the headless experience is I don't have to think about it. And sometimes I'm just enjoying it, and I, it means nothing. And what a relief not to have to have it mean anything. Yes, the, the, it's very interesting, isn't it? The, the um, why why do things need to mean something? I mean, why does something need to mean something else other than what it is? I mean, I mean life to say what what is the meaning of life? assumes that life on its own is no good without having a meaning from somewhere else. It's an interesting idea. I, I, it kind of is crazy. It's a kind of madness, I think. I mean, when you see this, as, as Berman described it, this wonderful, vast space, it needs no justification. It needs no outside or any kind of... Um, it needs nothing added to it. It gives meaning to everything, not the other way around. Very interesting. And yet while we search for meaning, we, we, we ignore it, don't we, in a way? I mean, the search for meaning 
pushes aside the ordinary. It, it kind of it's looking for something extraordinary, something valedictory, something that's going to pour into us somehow and, and make us redeem us. And yet, the, the very thing that, that that is actually already doing that, we 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 kind of ignore in that search. It's very ironic. It's amazing. Yes. And and also some some many of the things that we've been reading over the years, uh, like oneness, uh, unconditional love. I think all of the experiments point to the highest spiritual truths. You know, like. I feel each of those experiments point to that, like the paper bag and unconditional love, just acceptance of the other person. And it's a direct experience. It's not like I have to accept this person. It, it just feels like you, you have already accepted when you do the experiment. It, it's just there. Yes. I think that's what makes the, um, the experiments that Douglas Harding created are so simple and yet because of all of our conditionings with concepts and words and words that have meaning and so you know you point here and there's nothing there but everyone knows they their nose they, there's a nose and eyes and a mouth and you're breathing and you're hearing and you can taste and all of this stuff. And so the, the challenge is to let go of everything that you've ever been told and just see what happens. And, and I think that, that it's so hard sometimes for people, including myself, um, to really let go of all of that preconditionings and concept, conceptual uh, definitions and just see what happens. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and, and working the other side of the street a little bit, I think this process is enormously personal. Um, and, and enormously connected to self-empowerment on an individual and a personal level. So you, you know, on one side of the one side of the process is the you know the return to the source, if you will, um, and 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 returning from you know a world of abstraction where we think we know who we are and we're told who we are and we're told who we, how we should act, to 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 discovering both our personal, individual, and and beyond individual. Uh, you know, source of source source of ourselves, but then it comes back. It's totally personal. There's nothing about doing this experiment that isn't completely personal and completely individual. Um, and then the expression of that, you know, in our lives. And one of the things going on in the the Facebook discussions with um, that Sam's involved with is is this question of you know, are we escaping something through through the process of of um, of abiding in the source or staying in that in, in that space, and I and I think that's impossible. I think eventually that that's going to pour back out into a absolutely personal expression, uh, you know, through each one of us in a very different way. But 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 it's a personal thing. Yes, that's beautiful, Doug. Thank you. I, I again, that's something I love about Headless Way, 
is uh, that it gives me uh, a deep appreciation of our individuality and that uh, it doesn't deny the, the reality and value and preciousness of our individual selves. And uh, I recognize that the one here is expressing itself as Richard and therefore I recognize that the ones over there that I can see on the screen are the same one expressing itself in these different ways. And so now I am aware of this beautiful mystery that the one is many and the many are one. And awakening to being the one empowers, as you say, Doug, it empowers the, the little one in a, a, a genuine, beautiful way. And you have a deep sense now that whoever you meet is the one in disguise, <laughs> as it were. Well, and, and, it, and it's happening here in community as well, right? We, we wouldn't be sharing what we're sharing unless we were all here. Mm, that's true. Yeah. You know, um, yes. when, when I first was shown this by, by Richard, um, he began the, um, back in 2005, I don't even remember this Richard, you began the, the, the demonstration by saying, this is about you personally sitting there in your chair. And I was very struck by this because um, the other teachers uh, that I'd been exposed to up until then, nearly all of them, had, had kind of given lip service to the idea of individuality, but given the impression that it was a, some kind of obstacle. And that the the way the way was somehow around or you know transcend you had to transcend that. And, and Richard was talking about this is about you personally, and not you some higher self you or some abstracted you know uh, self of the universe you, but you the one sitting on the chair there. And that's what's wonderful about this, and and, and what en enables the empowerment that that Doug's talking about is that it, because it doesn't demonize the one you appear as, um, it allows that one to actually have a better life. Um, although that's a kind of side effect in a way. It's, not, you know, it's, a, it's as if by removing this tremendous burden of selfhood uh, from the one we appear as, he can suddenly start to flower. You know, he or she can suddenly start to flower um, free of this false uh, pressure of, of selfhood and I, I find that has been an unfolding joy for me personally is to, to watch the way this little one you know kind of blooms once that mm -hmm. that terrible confusion is, is cleared up even though the you know initially the, con the confusion is only cleared up in little bursts and it it's, it's, not, it's not a once and for all experience but it, it's a beginning of a clearing up of a kind of deadly confusion and, and it, it, um, it just, as Richard was saying, it deepens the experience, the ramifications of it keep getting deeper and more wonderful. And uh, yeah, I find that astonishing and an occasion for great gratitude. Yes, yeah, and this gesture... Sorry, go on, Burma, yes. Oh, I was going to say, I don't get any sense of spiritual bypassing at all with, with this... Uh, process. I don't think people are hiding behind a concept of being space or being open. I think it, it's so whatever is going on is 
is so uh, obvious and present. There, there's no attempt to hide from it, and the idea that you can um, run away from your own challenges, whatever they may be, doesn't happen. I think what you have is 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 um, a GPS, so to speak, of <laughs> of how to get get to you know being open and being space, and it's it's with you all the time. There, there's no um, there's no end of the rainbow, um, perfect, happily forever after thing that's going to happen because we're in process all the time. Nothing stays the same. And yet this, this uh, GPS is always available at any time for you to actually locate yourself, not your individual I am physical self, but to locate the self. And it's, it's always there. <laughs> yes, and this gesture, the two-way thing, locates your, your boundless self here and your limited self there. And this uh, placing of your self, uh, uh, seeing that the center is uncluttered, therefore you can live from this uncluttered space uh, as the individual that you are somewhere there. Uh, and uh, uh, how wonderful to have both and not to have to choose. <laughs> I think this is uh, a deep thing because uh, uh, we all know the uh, kind of spiritual teaching that indicates that you've got to somehow clean up your act and. Uh, get rid of your shadow and pull your socks up and <laughs> you know all of that uh, and it may be that the teaching themselves are not really saying that but we misinterpret them so you know whatever and you try it for a while and you know you have little successes but I find and I think looking at all my friends I think they found too that they fail uh, you know somewhere along the line you just can't maintain this kind of perfect person if ever you reach there and uh, the headless way uh, says that's to be expected what did you expect of that little one in the mirror you know what did you expect Richard he's just human here's the perfection and here's this beautiful imperfect temporary uh, precious uh, expression um, and that really is about forgiveness isn't it uh, uh, and you forgive not just yourself, but everyone else, really. <laughs> that was beautiful, Richard. Thank you. It's rather fun to meet together and share like this, isn't it? Oh, it's tremendous. I, I think it's, it's very essential to have these meetings, Richard. It has helped so much to have a community and do the same together. And when I shared it with a group of people some time back, I, 
I felt the experience deepened sharing mm. it with other people. Yes. Well, as Richard's often pointed out, you know, it was our socialization which, in a way, estranged us from periods of our, our deeper identity. We, we kind of learning to play what we call the face game, which is a social, human social necessity, is, is, the, is the process by which we kind of lose touch or forget this, this other aspect of ourselves. And so there is a social aspect to regaining it. And, um, and mm -hmm. I think that's very, very precious and important. And the thing that I love about the, the Headless Way is it makes this social aspect much more available than approaches which are, which are sort of based around the personality of a teacher. Um, because um, the teacher is, is, remains, in a sense, inaccessible. He, he remains on a pedestal. It doesn't matter how much he want to. He might, might personally want to resist that, but the, the very setup of satsang of the teacher and the disciples creates this this, this dynamic and this theatre, which makes it very difficult. And of course, the people around him are a peer group, but they are a peer. They're a peer group of seekers. And of course, as soon as Newman gets enlightened, he goes off and becomes a teacher. So there's a sense in which all of the, the enlightened people are by themselves in a, in, a, in a certain sense. I mean, they do get together these days more than they used to, but there's a sense in which, you know, you, you, um, it's, it's a solitary experience being enlightened and or being awake. And yet we can experience it as being a normal aspect of human adult development. Nothing special. We realize that we've, we've actually, it doesn't convey any, um, any privileges or any special uh, status on us. We, we are just like this. Everyone's like this. And we just happen to be lucky enough to have noticed the fact and to be able to share that, that noticing with each other. And that, I think that's tremendously, it brings a, a quality of sanity and, and normal, normality to, to what I, I think is, is, is just a normal stage of human development that, that we seem to have got as a species could have locked ourselves out of temporarily because of some glitch in the culture or something, I don't know. But this, you know, I mean, the fact that we can have this conversation now and we can understand each other so perfectly, it, it shows that there's hope for everybody, I think. Yes, uh, I, um, this social aspect is so interesting. Uh, uh, the way that we infect each other with our state of consciousness. So you were referring mm. to the four stages. So stage one, the baby, the baby is saying to everyone, be open like me, come and join me in this unselfconscious openness. And the child is saying, well, I'm, I'm still in touch with that, but I'm, I'm exploring being in different boxes. Come and play with me and be a lion or a tiger or, you know, just make things up as you go along. And uh, then the third stage of the adult is, I'm in a box, you're in a box. That's all there is to it, mate. <laughs> and th this, this is non-verbal as much as verbal in the sense that uh, I just have to look at you and you feel looked at. And I kind of non-verbally place you in a box and you place me in a box. So mainly it's non-verbal. And then when you're seeing, of course you still do that, you still feel looked at and you still look at people and they feel looked at. But now you're conscious of this openness like the baby, you're also broadcasting and saying to everyone, you can be both. And uh, 
I was with this friend a couple of days ago. I'd never met him before, and he was interested in seeing, so we met up in central London for lunch. It was great fun, and a uh, young guy. And uh, anyway, we were in the restaurant, and I was telling him about this, and I was saying, you know, right now, you're wide open for the whole restaurant, and you can't help but broadcast to everybody, can transmit to everyone here this basic openness, whether they like it or not, that you're doing this, you see. And then I did this thing, I said, oh, you've heard of transmission, haven't you? He, he's a, a Buddhist, uh, and the, the idea of transmission is, you know, the guru transmits the truth to the disciple, and it's mainly non-verbal, I think, you know, you, it's darshan or something. And so I, you know, joking but serious, I, I looked at him and I said, look, you know, this wide open emptiness, there where you are, your single eye, you're built open, you're busted wide open for the whole restaurant now and all the voices are in you and you're just wide open and don't you see, feel absolutely seen as who you are? You see, and he was going like this, <laughs> says, yes. <laughs> And you see, the thing is, this is uh, not a, a, a thing that a special guru only can do. You and I can, uh, we're doing this all the time. You know, that's the beauty of this simple gaze, it's, it's uncontainable. Mm. Oh, so that's one of the beauties of meeting together, isn't it? Uh, sorry, Sam, I'll just finish. Uh, in these groups, we're, what's going on is we're both giving each other feedback, you know, verbally and non-verbally, about our individual selves. But we're also kind of got on the front burner this one space in which this whole meeting is happening, which is brilliant. Go on, Sam. I, I, I was just going to say that I've just been at a party with uh, some friends, some of whom I knew uh, had met before, um, but most of who I didn't, I only knew slightly or not at all. And um, uh, since, since being into seeing, I, I've really started to enjoy people without any kind of precondition. So, and, and I've been amazed at the way it, that you can meet someone who you can kind of immediately meet them somewhere uh, from this space. And there's, there's this kind of amazing connection, whether whether or not they're, you know, I mean, not even talking about seeing. You can be talking about, I was talking about, um, you find a topic uh, that, that, that you're both interested in. Suddenly there's this flow of, of meaning and understanding between two human beings. And it's so precious and so wonderful. And, and, and the way that people just melt and open when you are transmitting from this place is, is just priceless. It's wonderful. It's one of the great kind of downstream effects of, of seeing and one that I really, really enjoy. Actually, uh, uh, on two occasions, one quite recent and one just a little bit ago that just come to mind, uh, uh, there I am walking through a square uh, somewhere in another country, actually, I can't remember where it was, Spain, I think, and, and a few days ago I was in Greenwich uh, with friends, and I look up, you see, and there's someone who just beams at me smile as wide as the sky, you know, and I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> and I don't know what, you know, I look like, but I'm kind of enjoying being the world, you know. And suddenly I look up and someone, I guess, I can only think, you know, because we don't talk, they just pass, you know, but, or I live in an Orthodox Jewish area. I was walking down the street a few months ago and 
uh, a gaggle of uh, old bearded uh, men with hats on, you know, uh, very serious. And I'm walking down, and I just look at one of them I, as I'm walking by. I just look. I, I no particular feeling or thought, you know. And he just smiles, you know. It's beautiful, beautiful. You wonder when that happens if the other person is aware of the same experience at the same time or not. You know, it almost seems like they have to be, but yes, who knows. Who cares, really? Yeah. And uh, you know, it's just brilliant with children. I mean, I'm, I imagine you all have experienced this. You, you know, you you headless with children, and th th they love it. You know, I mean, you somehow got a secret going. I don't know how to uh, explain it, but you know, it, it's just like you get on like a house on fire because. <laughs> you're you're a kid with them. You're not looking down from an adult kind of tower. <laughs> Famous last words. <laughs> William uh, William Samuel refers to this adult experience you're talking about as the the time of adultery. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good. Very good. Well, you mentioned children, Richard, and and it's interesting when you look when you look at a baby, you can you can see that, or a very young child, that they, you can tell that they're the void that has been dropped into a physical body, and they're trying <laughs> to figure out how to manipulate this body. It's like what. Yeah. How did I get here? What am I doing? And yes. and so I think that's the process of, of childhood is teaching them how to manipulate this body and the external world when they're when they're the void in their spirit that has just been dropped into it. Yes, and and like Sam was indicating with the four stages, that headlessness is the natural fourth stage. It's not a weird kind of thing that bounces you out the whole story it's the natural it's in fact it's the it's the maturing of, of our personality it, it's the natural flowering uh, it's not a kind of strange you know thing that happens to a few people that dr drops you out of the whole story it, it drops you deeper in it's what the story is about really in a way yeah, I look at I look at um, children and adults who um, can be unrehearsed. In other words, they act, they um, their actions are improvised, they're improvisational, spontaneous. That's always the most delight delightful way to be with anyone, including myself, and I particularly comes out when when um, when spontaneous and so hilarious and and it just touches something that's immediately recognized as a, a kind of a oneness connection and um, yeah I find that to be quite beautiful and mindless yes. You've got a headless cat there, Sam. 
<laughs> you have, you've muted your mic, so we can't hear you. <laughs> this is uh, Merle Gray, who's a, a lovely creature. And uh, earlier in the afternoon, we got back from this uh, meeting we'd been to, and there was a little gap in the action, so I decided to take a nap. And Merle was in the mood for a bit of a cuddle, and she gets a bit boisterous. She butts, head butts you, and so on. So eventually, I, I began. I, I just, I held her paw, took one of her paws and held it, and immediately she relaxed. And I woke up half an hour later, and we were both sleeping together, and I was still holding her paw. <laughs> but that cats are amazing. They, they emit, They love. They love it when you're um, seeing this. They, they, they somehow. They start. I've often they've. I've. As soon as I see this, I'll start purring. It's very interesting. Did you say the cat's Hi. name was Earl Gray? Merle Gray. Merle Gray. Yes. Oh, I thought you said Earl Gray, like the, the Earl of yeah, Gray. Yeah. Well, that, it, it's a play. It's a play on Earl Gray, but her name is Merle, and she's Gray, so we call her Merle Gray. Oh. I have a feeling when I'm with animals, you know, they say that animal cause animals can really sense your mood and uh, pick up on those kinds of things. And uh, they're very physical, obviously. And mm. uh, I have the feeling, because seeing uh, uh, means that, you know, in terms of my body sensations, I have this feeling that my body sensations are at large. I merge with this, the world. And uh, this is a very kind of a kind of um, lovely, warm kind of feeling of merging physically with the environment. And when I'm with uh, birds or you know, in the garden or squirrels or dogs or cats, I have the feeling that they probably pick up on this, you know, that I'm at large. Uh, and because they're at large, and if you're at large, you, you sense the world a lot better probably than if you're kind of not consciously that way. You know. So I, I think animals respond to this as well. Uh, and when you touch an animal, if you're not, you know, if you're, your sensations, you, they just, you kind of merge with the cat. You know, there's no boundary. And I, I can't imagine they don't sense that. You know. I think they're probably quite relieved when we stop talking and chattering and going on about whatever we're going on about. When we stop our adultery. Exactly. <laughs> yes, I notice with my dog, when, when she gets very comfortable, she has this deep breath. It's very deep. It's distinct from her more shallow breathing. And it's just like a, a sigh of letting go. And then I know that she has fully... Um, um, surrendered or whatever, those are just concepts that I'm making up, but I can feel the difference. Also with my, myself, when I am fully relaxed, I can tell with my breathing that it's much deeper. I'm not trying to hold on to anything or um, convey or I don't know just try I'm not trying 
that's the word I want to say. I'm not trying. Yes, that, uh, I think uh, it's interesting you talk about that because uh, we're just about to do an online course on head off stress. And uh, this is a very practical book. And uh, you, you know, you, you tense your hand and you notice your hand is tense, but the space isn't tense. And here's the stress-free space in which stress comes and goes. And does it make a difference to be aware of this stress-free space when you are experiencing challenging situations and tension and stress? Well, it really does. Uh, so uh, it, 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 in practice, this leads to this deep letting go uh, uh, downstream, you know, more or less. Uh, which is, uh, you know, well, try it and find out, but it, 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 there it is, yeah, wonderful. We're going to finish in a, in a few moments. Uh, really delightful for this first uh, hangout on air to hang out together. And uh, any uh, final thoughts about being together here and uh, before I uh, stop the broadcast? Well, I will, it's always. Uh, go ahead, Berman. Go ahead, Berman. Oh no, I was just gonna say quickly that it's it's always different. Every time we get together, it's never the same twice. And even if we say similar things, my experience is that it's always different. And it's very nourishing and uh, very supportive. And I appreciate it. Lovely. Sam, any thoughts uh, before we go? What Burma said. <laughs> <laughs> Sequoia? What Burma said. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> we had <have> a space. <laughs> what about you, Susita? You, you've got to be different. I just want to say that uh, this has really helped me and, and it's not just about the state where there's peace. I think even when, the, when I've been in the middle of challenges, when I feel like a problem is overwhelming, I can use any of the experiments and say, you know, this space, is it disturbed? Is it afraid? Is it apprehensive? So I find it like very practical in deepening the meditation, but it has also helped me overcome the stress and um, the emotions that come up you know, from time to time. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. Doug? A pleasure to be with you all again. And you, Doug. Lovely to see you again. Right. Very good. Well, lovely to be together. Hope uh, if you're watching this, you've enjoyed being the space in which it happens, and I hope you can join us in a hangout. So, uh, great. We will do this again. Bye for now. Guys. Take care. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Thank you very much. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the Headless Way and the work of Douglas Harding, or to join in on one of our weekly online meetings, please visit www.headless.org.